I just had Josiah Coons turn to me and say, don't blow it. <laughs> it's catching on. And I'll have, that'll make the third person that said that to me this morning. Once when I was in my office, George, he just barely cracked the door open, looked at me, don't blow it. Brian, this morning, I was looking for some encouraging words. Don't blow it. So he shook my hand. And now, now the teens are saying it, so. Yeah, George, a thing for that one. All right. Some of you are excited this morning. Some of you are like, they let him do it again? I don't know. Leadership needs to get things together. I don't know what's happening there. They let him up there to preach again, but it's happening. I have a microphone and you don't, so we're going <laughs> to... We're going to make it happen. Uh, a couple weeks ago, well, this past Sunday I was gone. Um, I wasn't here. We went on vacation. We went to Disney World, and it is magical. It is amazing. Um, but it comes at a cost. It is. <laughs> Mickey Mouse was, like, doing this to me the whole time that we were in the park, and, and he got pretty much all of it. And... Some of you are probably thinking, well, come on, man, you, you work at a church, you only work on Sundays, what are you taking a vacation from? <laughs> I want you to know, I, I, while I was gone, I was, I, was, I was working on some sermons, and we would get back from the park, and I told Molly a couple nights, I'm like, you can go ahead and go to bed, I'm going to go down here, I'm going to work on some stuff, and this is one of the sermons that, uh, that I worked on. But Disney World is amazing because they have, they, they build up the emotion, right? Like you're going in there, they have the music going, um, you, you take the monorail into it or you take the boat and that, that is just, that's neat. For me, that was enough. I'm like, okay, we'll just ride the boat and that's, that's my day. We'll go back and we'll hang out and watch TV. But they have all these rides and you know, it's, it's super crowded and, and you get to meet all the different characters there. They have the princesses and they have, um, you know, Donald and Goofy and Mickey Mouse and what, what was amazing, first off, was the, the level of organization that went into our particular trip. My wife is an organizing expert. I had no idea that she could go to this level, but she kicked it up a higher notch that I did not even know was possible. She looked up because we drove there. We took our minivan because that's how many of us there are. We have to take a van to get there. She figured up, based on our mileage and how big our gas tank is, and she looked at a map on gasbuddy.com. I don't know if any of you use that app. It tells you where the cheapest gas is. She had particular exits picked out that we were going to stop and get gas at based on that. She said, this one tends to be a little bit cheaper, so we're going to stop here. We're going to stop in Georgia. We're going to get gas there. And then we're going to stop at one, you know, five hours from there. And we're going to get gas there because everywhere else it's expensive. And hats off to her because I, growing up, my family, and, and just to give you a background on myself, we're not people of organization. We go on vacation, and if we know where we're going, that is, that is being organized for us. We get down there, and we're like, okay, which hotel's available? Because that's the one we're going to stay at. So kudos to her for being so, so organized with that. And that made the trip so nice because we were able to see so many different things. We were able to do so much while we were there. Um, they have this, Disney has this thing called the Fast Pass, and it's a, it's a free deal that you, um, they, have, they have like bracelets you can wear, or they have these, these special little cards. Here was my, my ticket and my Fast Pass. And the Fast Pass, what it allows you to do is you can load up three of them onto your card, and they're absolutely free. And it allows you to go up to any line that you have a Fast Pass for, 
and you just hold it up to the little Mickey logo and it flashes a light and it lets you through. And you can just completely bypass that line. And that was made. So you felt, you, you felt super prestigious going up to go see, you know, Donald Duck. If you had the fast pass, you're like, mm, I'm not a peasant. I'm not waiting in line. Fast pass this. Yeah, you guys will get to see him in an hour. I'm going to go see him here in about 10 seconds. So we're able to meet a lot of characters. And what really struck me as weird was how starstruck my daughter got meeting the princesses. These princesses, that's really them. Like, that's really, go ahead and show that, that picture that we have on there. Like, that is, to my daughter, that is really Jasmine. That's not, that's not some actress in a costume. Like, that's her. If you were to pull her out of kids' church right now and say, that's an actress in a costume, she would tell you you're lying. And no, that's her. What was so funny was, especially with Jasmine, I don't know what her, what her thing is with this particular princess, but she told Molly and I while we were in line, she said, I don't want you to go up there with me when I meet Jasmine. I want you to stay back here. <laughs> the attitude changed, right? Based on, based on her meeting Jasmine, she's like, I want to do it by myself. And even if you look at this picture there, hands on the hips, the sassiness, the face, everything. How much her personality changed just because of who she was, who she identified this, this young woman as, as Princess Jasmine of Agrabah. I don't know how well some of you are on your Disney. Agrabah, right? That's the real deal to her. And because that's the real deal to my daughter, her behavior completely changed. She wanted to be impressive. She wanted to be cool, just like Jasmine. You can take that off there now because no one's going to listen to me as long as she's up there. <laughs> and that, that got me thinking, whether or not we realize that a lot of how we behave is based on how we identify a person that we are with. And this, what we see trending in our schools a lot is our students aren't identifying the teachers and the principals as people of authority they're identifying them as people that are equals, and it's simply not right. But because they're doing that, you see the behavior change. You're not my boss. You're not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me how to do things. The identity that we give someone will dictate our response. Now, I want you all to go in the, uh, the book of Matthew this morning, chapter 16. And we will begin in verse 13. All right, and we, before, we start, before we start with our scripture, let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you've given us, Lord. And Lord, right now, I'm, I'm asking for you to deliver a message, Lord, to deliver a message that is true, that is, that is your spirit-filled, Lord, not something that sounds good, not something light and something fluffy, Lord, but something that is sincere, something that is pure, something that is straight from you. And Lord, I'm praying for each and every person this morning, God, that you would have your hand on their heart, Lord, that, that whatever it is that they are going through, whatever it is that they are struggling with, Lord, that you would be there and you would make your presence known in their lives. Father, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Now Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who, do, who are people saying that I am? 
And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? Now, if you, if you go just a little bit further back in this, uh, this particular chapter here, we see that Jesus had just finished feeding thousands of people. So the disciples were well aware just from being with that group of people what they were saying, what their, what their thought was on Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? They had an idea. John the Baptist, a new prophet. Elijah, a very famous old prophet. Jeremiah, another very famous old prophet. Or just, just any random prophet. But he turns it on him. He says, all right, that's what people are saying I am. And society has an opinion, and they will let you know, always. He says, but who do you say that I am? And that's the, that's the million-dollar question. That is the, that is the big question that we all have to recognize and that we all have to answer. Who do you say I am? Or if we could rephrase it, if we could, if we could turn it a little bit. Who is Jesus to you? Not factoring who Jesus is to me or who Jesus is to the person next to you. Who is Jesus to you as an individual? Who is Jesus in your life? Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And there in verse 16, Peter, and what I love about Peter is Peter is quick to say something. And a lot of times he got himself in trouble with saying that. But, you know, I have to, hats off to the guy. At least he's trying. At least he, he tries something. He doesn't get it right all the time, but at least he's, he's trying. He's making a move. And this particular time, he gets it. He gets it right. In verse 16 there, we read, um, Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who do you say I am? See, Peter wasn't wrapped up. His opinion of who Jesus was in his life wasn't tied directly to the thousands of people that he had just been sitting down eating with. Their influence of how little Jesus was did not go off on him. It did not become part of his worldview of Jesus. He said, here's what they're saying. They're saying that you're just another prophet. You're just another guy with a good message. You're just another guy that's helping people. But I think you're more. I think you're bigger than that. I think that they're not seeing the full picture. I think you're the Christ. And Christ, that term refers back to Old Testament, the Messiah, the anointed one, God's chosen one that he was going to send. See, Peter was putting a really high label, but he was doing it with faith. He says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're not like them. You're not a prophet. You're something far, far better than that. But the, que the heavy question, who is Jesus to you? We have to answer that. We have to decide that. No one can make that decision for you. I can't make that decision for you. No one can make that decision for me. But fortunately... Jesus likes to give us the answer key. God likes to provide a lot of answers for you. Anyone ever have a class that you took when you were younger that you had a teacher that let you take in the study guide? Anyone like that? No? None of you teens have a teacher that will let you take in a study guide, ever, at any time. 
Sam. Sam has a teacher that loves her and lets her have a study guide. I had one in college. He would let you take in a, um, a little like three by five note card. So what a lot of guys would do is they would feed that into their printer and they would put it at like four or five point font and they would print on there and they'd bring a magnifying glass in the class so they could read it. <laughs> Didn't want to miss a thing. Make sure you have all the notes from the whole semester on there. The nice thing is Jesus asks, who do you say I am? But we can look around here in the Bible and we can see, well, Jesus, who do you say you are? Because I want to have a, I want to have an informed decision, right? I want to have a, a well-studied vision of who Jesus is. Now let's jump over to uh, the book of John, chapter 14. Chapter 14 and verse 6. This is Jesus. He's, uh, he's having a conversation with Thomas. In verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. It's a lot of I ams. It's a pretty, pretty solid definition there. Now, the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. Now, you have to understand, in this Jewish culture that, that they were living in at that time, you had a pretty lengthy religious process in order to have any sort of minuscule interaction directly with God. You had to go to the high priest, and the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies, which was reserved for only him to enter into. You wouldn't go in there, but you would talk to the high priest, and the high priest would, would step in there for you and several times a year, and pray. Now, Jesus says, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. So he's completely changing that around. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. He completely begins removing these structures that are in place that are blocking us from God. And in effect, he kind of becomes the fast pass to God. Aren't you glad that we have a fast pass to God? We don't have to do this weird process to get in there to talk to God, but I can simply just pray and God hears it. I don't have to talk to a priest. I don't have to go to another person. I can say, look, God, I need your help. Look, God, I need your strength. Look, God, I need you to be there for me, and he will hear me. Isn't that amazing? Like, yes, sir. You guys aren't easily excitable. It was exciting to me. It wasn't as exciting to you as it was to me. In verse 7 there, he, uh, he follows up with, with that statement. Chapter 14 and verse 7. If you, had known, if you have known me, you have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Now, Jesus identifies himself to Thomas as the father. He says, in knowing me, you're knowing the father. And he's helping Thomas to realize that his desire to know God comes directly through being with Jesus. The more time that Thomas was spending with Jesus, he was knowing God. He was understanding God by being with Jesus. See, Thomas had this idea that, that the two things were separated, that, that Jesus was not fully God and God was not within Jesus. And he was having a hard time wrapping his head around that and having that understanding there. But Jesus says, to know me is to know God. So as you recognize me as God, you will know 
the nature of God. Now let's go back a few more chapters. We're going to go to uh, chapter 10 and John. I'm jumping all over the place this morning. We're going to be all over. John chapter 10 and verse 7. And this, this passage here is basically a long version of what he's told Thomas already. Starting there in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out, and he will find a pastor. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life, and they have, may have life more abundantly. So right there, he's telling us, again, he is the way. He's the door. If you're going to make any sort of direction in your life, you're going to need that. You're going to need the way. You're going to need that doorway to step through. He's saying that, that people can be saved, and it's not by just him and a bunch of other people. It's only by him. And make that distinction because we live in a world that we like, to, we like to mix a lot of things up, but he makes that distinction. I'm the way. Jesus is the door for us to step through and be saved. There is no other door. There's no other way. Right there, people can be saved. He is the life. And you can have an abundant life by him. Because that's what he came to do, to have life and to have life more abundantly. And you have that through having the truth in your life. I feel like I didn't really start to live until after I knew Jesus as my Savior. Now, I was 15 years old when I got saved, and I look, at back, I look back at that now, and I realize my life would be so different had I not been saved. I would not, I would, I'd probably still be living in Marstown, Ohio. I don't, I don't want to guess at what I would be doing, because I don't think it would be godly. But because, because I met Jesus, my life took a dramatic turn. And I'm not saying I made right decisions all the way, but my life became far more abundant than what it could have ever been with just me being in control of it. Jesus makes it really plain and simple that he has the things that you need, the things that I need, the things that every living person needs. He has those and he gives of them freely. You want direction? He has it. He'll give it to you. You want truth and clarity to the things that you're dealing with in your life? To the struggles? The fears? The issues that you're, that you're staring down? You want truth and clarity to that? He has it. Amen. You want your life to finally begin? And I'm not talking about being alive. I'm talking about really living because there's a lot of people that are alive, but they're not really living. You know what I'm talking about. We all know. Jesus can provide that. He can give that life. That abundant life. That, that word abundant, it translates to kind of roughly being just overflowing where your life isn't calm, but it's, it's overflowing. Not saying that you're going to have a jumbo jet and you're going to be flying across the world every weekend doing whatever you want, but that your life will be exciting. Your life will be incredible. It'll be so much more than what it would be without him. 
and that you may have life and have life more abundant. But your reaction, your reaction to how you view Jesus is very, very much controlled by how you identify him in your life. It all goes back to that. And we can say, we can say, oh, he's God. I, I recognize him as God. But really, in action, are we doing that? Really, in action, am I doing that to what, the way that it's supposed to be? Is he God of my life? Is he God of my family? Is he the God of my city, of my country? Is he the God of my finances? Or is he my God from 10 a.m. till whenever the preacher shuts up? Looking like 11. How you react to Jesus' instruction is tied directly to how you identify him. The abundant life. Jesus has it. He's wanting to give it to you. And I, I think there's a huge deception out there, and I, I, think, I think it is a deception that once you become a Christian, your life life is over. Like, that's it. When, when I was living in Cincinnati, and I, I worked waiting tables part-time, I did youth ministry part-time, and I waited tables, and the people that I waited tables with were all around my age, and they treated me like I was Amish. They would talk about TV or something like that or ask me about a show and they're like, well, you probably don't know what that's like, do you? <laughs> well, I own a TV. <laughs> and they'd be like, what do you do on the weekends? Because all of them were going out and they were getting drunk and they were getting high. They were, what do you do on the weekends? Well, I don't know. This weekend I'm going paintballing. I don't know what I'm going to do next weekend. Like I'm having, I'm enjoying myself. But I think there's a huge deception out there that, and especially for our teens, that your life ends when you fully devote yourself to Christ. And that's simply not the case. But let me, let me maybe step on some toes this morning and say that we have, we have people, there are Christians that perpetuate this, that add on to this, that when they became Christians, their life went super mundane. You're like, oh, I'm going to Lowe's this weekend, so it's going to be exciting. <laughs> Retile that bathroom. It's going to be awesome. And I think, I think, the, I think the problem that, that occurs there is that they've made Jesus Lord of parts of their life, but not all of it, if that makes sense. They made... They, they cherry-picked certain parts of their life. They said, you know what, God, I'm going to let you have full reign on this. But when it starts getting to parts that make me uncomfortable or that take me out of my comfort zone or that force me to try new things or talk to people that I don't know, I'm going to stop you right there and you're not going to be Lord anymore. You're just going to be the good influence. And I think because, they're not, because we're not doing that, because we're not allowing Jesus to be Lord in every part of our life, we're not having abundance in every part of our life. And that reflects, and it reflects poorly on us. I don't want to be known as a Christian that doesn't do anything, that doesn't have any sort of fun, that doesn't enjoy life. I want to be known as a Christian that has an abundant life, that I'm having a blast, and that my life is so different now than what it would have been. And it's all because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
All right, you're kind of following me. Jesus, I'll give you Sunday morning, but football season's coming up, so just a couple hours. No, I'm talking about having the abundant life. Life overflowing. So much more than what it, than what it can be. So much more than, than the average person. A Christian life that is abundant. Exciting. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I'm excited because God is in it. I don't have to worry about tomorrow because I know God is with me. Life abundant. You want direction, you can, you can have it. He'll give it to you. You want truth and clarity, you can have it. He'll give it to you. You want a life that is abundant, he will give it to you. But you're going to have to follow some instruction. In order for you to listen, you're going to have to recognize that he is God and he is Lord in your life. Let Jesus reign in all areas of our lives. Let's go to one more, one more spot in the Bible here. Matthew chapter 16. This will be my final scripture. This is where we started at. The beginning of this sermon. And there we read the verse. Jesus came into the district and, and he said, who do the people say I am? And they told him, you know, the people around are saying that you're John the Baptist and you're Elijah and you're Jeremiah or maybe one of the other prophets. And then he pinpoints the question onto his disciples and he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, he responds, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Now here is Jesus's answer. We're just going to read verse 17 and verse 18. Jesus answered. Here's his response to Peter. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. It's a very formal name for Peter. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, here's what happens. Here's what happens when we really start identifying Jesus as Lord in our lives and in our lives completely, not just a little bit, not in the areas that we've particularly selected that are okay with Jesus to rule in, but I'm talking the whole thing. We see that the church is being built. The church is experiencing growth. People are coming to know Jesus. And not only that, the church is getting strength, not just a little bit, but he says, so much strength that the gates of hell aren't going to be able to stand up against the church. Now that is the kind of life I want. That is the kind of church I want. That is the kind of Christians I want to be surrounded with. Amen? Amen. Amen. Make Jesus Lord in your life. If you've done it already, maybe you need to do it again. Maybe you've picked out some areas. I know I have a tendency of picking out some areas where Jesus is Lord of my life. And I say, you know what? I'm going to reserve these for me. These are Logan areas. But maybe it's time for us to make Jesus Lord of our whole life again. Let's all stand. Let's uh, bow our heads and we'll, we'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, I've, I pray that everyone, everyone, Lord, would, would live an abundant life. And, and Father, I feel awful for those that don't, that don't get to experience that. Lord, that they, they don't know what it is to, to really be alive, that they don't know what it is to have an abundant life.
And Father, I pray that, that each and every person, Lord, in this room, Lord, that, that we would have that abundant life, that we would be branching out, that we'd be growing in areas that we never thought growth was, was possible, Lord, that you would be stretching us, that you would be moving us in new and exciting directions. And Father God, that we would know your truth, we know your love, and that we would live a life that you have set aside for us to live. Father God, pray for those who, who come here now, Lord, who come to this altar, Lord, seeking you, Lord, asking for your healing, for your blessing, asking you to take care of the needs. Father, we love you and we thank you. Bless those that come now. In Jesus' name. It is our prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677.